Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome back. And one of the things that we are constantly uh, tracking and concerned about, just how involved is Iran really in this Middle East war? I'm very honored to have with us today uh, Brandon Weikirk. He's the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Uh, he's a geopolitical analysis, former congressional staffer. He's a writer and author, uh, authored of The uh, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He does have... Um, First of all, there's a picture of the cover of his new book on the screen there. You can check it out, The Shadow War by Brandon uh, Weichart. That's W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And you can also check out the WeichartReport.com. There's a website, the WeichartReport.com. Brandon, good to see you. Thanks for your time. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you. Boy, you're a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they tell me. Yeah. Um, all right, we heard, and, and I want to be, you know, respectful here, but it's a little hard to digest from the White House that there is no connection between Iran and this war. What's your take? Well, I won't be as respectful. The White House and the Biden administration have proven that they are inveterate liars. Uh, we know that the Iranians have pulled together Hamas, Hezbollah, Fatah, the Islamic Jihad, into an alliance. This happened in December of 2017 in Beirut. They formally made this announcement. And in this meeting in December of 2017, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps commander at the time, Qasim Soleimani, who Trump rightly assassinated about three and a half years ago, uh, at the time, General Soleimani said that this was being done to plan and execute the Third Intifada against Israel. And here we are uh, with that happening. Hamas struck, in fact, uh, the way they did Israel because they were trying to divorce Israel from Saudi Arabia, which it looks like, at least for now, that has worked. Um, why was this war a surprise? What, what was the key factor that they were able to keep this under the wraps? Well, um, Israel has been understandably focused to their north. It's Hezbollah in Lebanon. Hezbollah is a much bigger threat. Um, the Israeli government had basically been paying off Hamas leaders to keep quiet, and uh, Netanyahu's government believed that that, camp, that plan was working better than constantly having to attack. Um, and when they did have to attack, usually Israel would, ha would only have to do limited strikes. They called it mowing the grass. It was always Hezbollah to the north that was a bigger threat that kept them occupied uh, in terms of where they were paying attention. Um, and that's how Hamas was able to kind of get a surprise. Uh, plus, the Israeli political system has been uh, really divided and distracted uh, for the last several years, there's been a lot of domestic turmoil there, much like in many other Western nations, uh, between the left and the right. And there's been a real kind of leadership crisis. Uh, Netanyahu was kicked out of office a few years ago. There was sort of a high turnover of prime ministers. I think they went through two or three. And then Netanyahu ultimately made a comeback again, where he then became mired in this fight with the Israeli Supreme Court. And so they were the whole system over there was distracted, basically. Mm. Um, so you got Hezbollah to the north, you got, uh, and you got Hamas to the south. 
obviously both being supplied by materials coming out of Iran. I guess there was a recent discovery that a missile out of Hezbollah into uh, Israel was from North Korea. What's, yeah. Explain that one. What we're seeing is that the Chinese are leading a pan-Eurasian alliance of autocrats that includes Iran and North Korea, Turkey, as well as joining this group, uh, and Russia. And what we've seen is that when one of these members has problems, like uh, Russia and Ukraine, other members step in with logistics. So North Korea and Iran have been supplying the Russians in Ukraine, and now the Iranians are in a pickle, and suddenly, and, and the Iranian proxy. Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, they're all in a pickle now. And so now the other members of this nominally Chinese-led Eurasian autocratic alliance are now moving in to backfill uh, the logistical supply chain that they need to. Uh, and so we should expect to see more of this as Eurasia deteriorates into a regional war that could be a world war. Uh, and in fact, uh, if there is ever a conflict over the Korean peninsula, we can expect to see Russia, China, Iran uh, supplying the North Koreans. And if China ever has an issue with Taiwan, which I think they will soon, uh, we can expect to see Russia, Iran, North Korea moving as well to help uh, China. So that's how this is playing out now. OK, I want to come back to that. But let me stick with one other point, And that is that um, oh, how big of a box is Saudi Arabia in right now? Saudi Arabia is in a pickle themselves because the regime in Saudi Arabia, as led by the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, they're very pro-American and they want to get close with Israel. But the people of Saudi Arabia are not overwhelmingly pro-Israel, certainly, uh, and not pro-American. They tend to sympathize with Islamists. Uh, in fact, remember, Al-Qaeda was initially a Saudi-led and born movement uh, that was opposed to the Saudi uh, royal family's reign because they got too close to America. Uh, and so the Saudi government's in a tight spot because they want to have better relations with Israel. They want to form a security alliance to contain Iran with Israel. But now that Israel is having to attack Gaza Strip, and probably they're going to have to kill Palestinian Arabs, the Saudi government doesn't want to upset their own people who could then revolt and overthrow the government of Saudi Arabia because the people in Saudi Arabia are sympathetic to the Palestinian Arabs, even though Hamas did this horrible attack. So the Saudi government has to walk a tightrope where they want to be closer to the West, but they've also got to be worried about their own people. It's very similar to what happens in Pakistan. So... We in the West don't really understand the struggle between the Shiites and the Sunnis. And doesn't the people of Saudi Arabia understand that ultimately Iran would be a threat to them? Well, they do. And in fact, one of the reasons the crown prince was so popular with everybody in Saudi Arabia was because since 2014 and 2015, he's been banging the drum against Iran. Um, the problem is now, you know, when it comes down to do they support the Jews of Israel or do they support fellow Muslims? Uh, ultimately, the religion factor is going to be they may have disagreements with the Shiites in Iran religiously, but ultimately they're all still Muslims, uh, whereas the Jews of Israel are not even in the same faith. So they're not going to openly side uh, with Israel over Iran. Not now, at least. I think that that window will open as time progresses, but that's contingent on what happens in Gaza. OK, so in the meantime, 
uh, America is in a surrogate way involved in this war. We have two warships there. We have, we're taking out some drones. We're taking out some missiles. We're involved. Uh, we're not, we won't have troops on the ground. Sooner or later, sooner or later, somebody's going to go after Iran. Who is it? Well, we do have troops on the ground. We have special forces units embedded. Uh, in fact, we were our, one of our leading Marine Corps generals was deployed to advise the IDF in their preparations for invading Gaza. So mm. the, it's a bit of a misnomer to say we don't have troops on the ground. We don't have regular forces in large numbers. Um, and so, but we are involved beyond what the news is saying. Um, the issue here is Israel may want to strike Iran, but the reason that they've not done, you know, they've had ample opportunities over the last 20 years. It's because logistically it's very difficult. Israel is a small country. They have a very fierce military, but ultimately there are limits to what that military can do unless it is amplified by larger partners like the United States. The Americans have not wanted to let Israel do strikes uh, because they're worried about a wider escalation. Uh, so if there is uh, a need to hit Iran, the Israelis can't do it on their own. They're going to need support from the United States. They'll also probably need landing rights and flyover rights for Saudi Arabia and probably Iraq as well, which they are unlikely to get. So it would be easier if the American Air Force and Navy could just strike targets, military targets belonging to Iran. But that's not going to happen unless Hezbollah opens up a second front from the north against Israel. And that will only happen, I think, once the IDF has fully committed to a ground war in Gaza and is tied down there. What happens if we start facing Hezbollah coming across the U.S. border? They've already come across the U.S. border. Um, even before Biden's presidency, uh, going back to the late 80s, early 90s, in fact, we know Hezbollah was sending agents illegally into the United States and embedding them in our local communities. The thing that I'm worried about most now is with that wide open border, not only are they not only are enemies of our country like the Chinese moving fentanyl across, which is killing hundreds of thousands, but also uh, Hezbollah with these international supply chains that they have, they've been moving uranium by the kilos around the world for what? I think they're planting the, the uranium in target cities around the world, and they're going to have their agents illegally here build a dirty bomb in situ and then de detonate it if the crisis in the Middle East escalates beyond Israel. So um, from your perspective, is Israel capable of handling the situation currently? Uh, if it remains a Hamas versus Israel war with other parties remaining distant, I think they can. If, as I suspect, and I predicted this in my book, if I, as I suspect, Hezbollah does eventually open up a second front. They're going to need help. They're, they can't fight a multi-sided war. They're a small country. They have a strong military, but there's only so many of them to go around. And so they're going to need assistance from their allies. Uh, the French President Macron uh, earlier today or this week made an interesting comment. He said we should basically reconstitute the alliance that was built to fight ISIS and we should use it to help protect Israel. I think that's a great idea, especially if Hezbollah and other parties do open second, third, and fourth fronts against Israel. At that point, Israel will need wider international assistance. Is Can Lebanon really afford to do this? I mean, they're still recovering from that blow-up, <laughs> yeah. and uh, their economy's in shambles. Can they really afford to engage in this? 
Well, Lebanon's basically a failed state, and as you as you can see, uh, it's basically been co-opted by Hezbollah, which Hezbollah, of course, is an arm of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps. So, uh, you know, whether Lebanon can uh, quote unquote afford it or not is is irrelevant. It's going to be used as a base because Hezbollah has so totally taken over every aspect of Lebanon's government. They have influence and control, uh, you know, that's completely widespread and total. So the Lebanese people are not even really controlling their own government. It's, it's Hezbollah and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. All right, one other quick question before I take a uh, break. By the way, uh, Brandon uh, Weikert with us. His book is called The Shadow War. You may want to check it out, uh, The Shadow War. There's a picture of the cover of the book on the screen there. Uh, Brandon, the, prior to all this, the Biden administration was sending loud signals willing to negotiate with Iran, forgive the six trillion or billion, excuse me, uh, and all of that. Now that the wars broke out, where is that all, where is that all at today? Well, um, if Congress can get its act together, they can probably stop future deals like that from going on. Um, but unfortunately, I see no change in the Biden administration's posture toward Iran and its proxies. Remember, um, the day that Biden went to Israel and made this historic speech from the war zone, um, the U.S. government gave $100 million in quote-unquote aid to the Gaza Strip, which actually was just going into the coffers of Hamas, who will not use it for humanitarian aid. They will use it to further fund their war against Israel. So, uh, you know, Biden is playing both ends here. Um, he's going to very much continue his outreach to Iran. Already, the White House has denied as we talked about at the beginning of this segment. Already, the White House has denied that Iran is has any involvement in what's going on in Israel, and that is a false, that's an extreme falsehood, but they're doing that because they're trying to keep their relationship and their diplomacy with Iran alive, which is a huge mistake because Iran has proven already that they cannot be trusted under any circumstance, that government can't at least. One other quick question before I take a break, and that is, um does this really put uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a box in spite of the pressure from this administration and what they do, the hundred million going over here to uh, Gaza and this deal still hanging in the midair with Iran? Sooner or later, he may have to say, sorry, Mr. President, I'm going at it alone. Yeah, and I think he's already starting to do that, um, and it's it's a, a mistake because once that happens, I think that's when Hezbollah does open a second front, sensing that Israel is isolated. This is the whole purpose of the Iranian move to get their proxies to attack Israel. It's to weaken and isolate Israel as a means of weakening and isolating America in the region. And so I think there cannot be any daylight between us and Israel, but sadly, President Biden is already trying to restrain Israel, and that's a huge mistake. Check out the uh, WyKirkReport.com. That's his website. Check out his book called The Shadow War. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back and uh, delighted to have back with us today. Uh, Brandon Weikirk is the author of a fascinating book called The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Uh, he's a geopolitical analysis. He's uh, been a congressional staffer. He's been around the block a few times, writes. Go to his, uh, his report, the Weikirk Report, and that's spelled W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, report.com. Brandon, um, do you think the American people are seeing through all this? Um, well, I, I don't know. I think that many Americans understandably want to be done with the Middle East specifically, but the wider world. Um, and I understand that. And I certainly think there are things we can do to step back. Uh, but in this case, um, I, I don't know. What's really going to determine whether there's an answer to that question is going to be in, what, 16 months uh, when the election happens, how we're going to decide. Because right now, it looks like Joe Biden has got his arms wrapped around World War III, uh, and that's kind of scary. Yeah. What would be your advice if you had the ear of the administration to do? It would well if if they were being sincere, they would recognize that their Iran policy and their wider Middle East policy has failed, and so stop trying to rekindle the Obama era nuclear agreement with Iran. Stop sending money to Iran and its proxies. Stop treating Iran like it's a normal country. The government of Iran is revolutionary, more um, uh, Islamist. They're not a normal country. And so what I would do is I would look to Donald Trump's foreign policy for the region, the Abraham Accords, use our immense leverage with Saudi Arabia in particular, but the wider Sunni Arab world, and force them to normalize or continue normalizing relations with Israel while we support Israel. And then together, over time, an, an anti-Iran coalition can be finally created that will contain and constrain Iran uh, the way that we did to the Soviet Union in the Cold War. Uh, and we can avoid a war entirely that way, in the same way that we beat the Soviets without a shot being fired. It just requires us to bring together a regional coalition of like-minded uh, nations uh, who have similar interests that we do, containing Iran. And then we just put the pressure on with maximum pressure and let the regional actors take the lead uh, while we sort of stay back behind the scenes, making sure nothing gets out of hand. But right now, we've been inviting the wolf into the hen house by letting Iran basically get all the this money and be given all of this uh, diplomatic access and economic trade agreements in the hopes that they become a normal country. That regime will never let them become a normal country. So as long as the Iranian government is as it is, we just need to contain them the way we did to the Soviet Union. So where is the Abraham Accord this day? Why why aren't they popping up and putting a little pressure on the White House? Well, it's 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 dead on arrival now because since Biden took power, even though he has publicly talked a big game about supporting the Abraham Accords behind the scenes, he and his team have basically done everything in their power to gut those agreements and then also to put a distance between the Saudis and the other Sunni Arab states and ourselves because of supposed human rights violations. Well, the problem is that has weakened the Abraham Accords to the point that when there's the slightest problem, like the Hamas attack against Israel, suddenly the Sunni Arabs don't want to help Israel, whereas if we had continued in all full honesty promoting the Abraham Accords both publicly and behind the scenes for the last three years, 
there wouldn't be this problem. The Sunni Arabs would have overcome their allergy to dealing with Jewish Israel, and they would stand beside them, recognizing Iran as the greater threat. But right now they don't, because they don't think the Americans are committed or have their back. My next question sounds political. I don't mean it to be. I'm just curious, from your perspective, is this, is this current administration really cognitive to really balance this war, or is this, is this Obama 3.0? This is Obama 3.0. Just remember, um, World War I, Woodrow Wilson was the president. He was a Democrat. FDR was the president in World War II, Democrat. Truman had Korea, another Democrat. LBJ had Vietnam, another Democrat. These were some of the bloodiest wars Americans had ever fought. Democrats are associated with being the party of peace, and yet four of their supposedly greatest presidents were warmongers. And Obama also bombed more Middle East countries than George W. Bush ever could have. And now we have Biden, who appears to be doing everything in his power to inflame and antagonize the situation uh, in in the Middle East. So I, I fear that we are speeding under Biden toward a world war, because I don't think he really sees or wants an off-ramp. I want to come to Russia just for a second. Uh, is Russia really strong enough to get involved in anything? Their, their economy is a shambles, and so is China. So how do they do this? Well, China's a different animal, but but with Russia, they can still get involved. They've still got air assets in the region. They've got the Va- the, the, the Wagner Group. They've got some special forces, as uh, uh, Spetsnaz units in the region. Um, their real threat to us in the region would come in the form of economics and primarily uh, special forces and kind of intelligence threats to us in sort of that shadow world. Uh, but they, they could not be a real direct threat uh, to us because they're so tied down in the Ukraine. Um, China, uh, you know, with their, they still have a powerful economy despite the downturn they're going through. Uh, they have a lot of connections to Iran through oil. They can do a lot. They've already deployed six warships to combat or to counter the deployment of the two U.S. Navy aircraft carrier groups to the Eastern Med. Um, so they can complicate our lives. But ultimately, their proxy, Iran, is going to be the heavy lifter here. And I think that, given what's going on, I think Iran is okay with being the heavy lifter, knowing that Turkey, Russia, and China ultimately have their back. There's been talk, I don't know if it's rumor or real or whatever, it kind of makes sense, I don't know, uh, that the best thing we could do to Iran is take out their refineries. Yeah, that's Lindsey Graham's idea. And, and you know, I, I agree with Lindsey Graham in one area that if Hezbollah opens a second front, we're going to need to commit U.S. air power, um, but not against the refineries, not at least initially. That, those are primarily civilian targets within Iran. Um, and I would say that the real threat to Israel from Hezbollah would come in Iran's ability to resupply Hezbollah. So what we should be doing, and we've already identified them, we've known about them for years, um, we should be using air power if Hezbollah goes into Israel, we should be using air power to, to bomb Iranian supply chains coming out of Iran through Iraq and Syria. Syria into Lebanon. We should save those oil refineries for a last resort. Not only are those civilian targets, but if we blow up those refineries, we're going to spike the price of oil globally, uh, and it's going to hurt Americans ultimately. Yeah, but doesn't it hurt China more? China is their greatest uh, importer. 
it it does, but China also has the ability to shift over to Saudi Arabia, and that will only pull Saudi Arabia and those Gulf countries farther away from us. It's a balancing act. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that, and as an initial attack, we might want to focus instead on those supply chains and see how that plays out. If it doesn't negate the threat, then we need to escalate. But I also think before we do refineries, why aren't we looking at Iran's uh, uh, nuclear sites as well as their ballistic missile sites? Those are far greater threats, both to us and the Israelis, even than the oil is presently. Uh, I, well, that's why I'm asking you. You got more insight of that. Uh, I, I don't think we should do the oil refineries initially. I think that if it becomes a thing where we have to bomb, I think we should avoid the oil refineries until we've exhausted all other bombing options. Uh, uh, about 40 seconds, uh, Brandon. Are you surprised uh, of, of the division that this world that this war has caused, even within the United States? I mean, it's amazing to me to see corporations, universities, and cities begin to stand with Hamas. No, it's actually not surprising. I was in college, you know, over a little bit over a decade ago, and even then, I went to DePaul University in Chicago. They had hired Norman Finkelstein, a legendary Holocaust denier, to be the head of their Middle East department. So uh, it's not that surprising to me. All right. Let me say to our viewers and listeners, check out his book called The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. I think you'll find it to be uh, pretty informative. Uh, again, by Brandon uh, Weikert. You can check out his uh, website, The Weikert Report, and that's spelled W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Check it out, The Weikert Report, uh, dot com. Thank you, uh, Brandon. You're fascinating. Well, can we stay Thank in touch? You. Absolutely. Good to see you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.